Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. What a wonderful morning, hey? I feel like we could go on, but uh, looks like we're stopping, so let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you that as we sing, we just uh, recognize again your place, high above it all, first King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, it's wonderful that as we recognize your greatness, as we exalt your name, we recognize to our place before you, all that Jesus enabled upon the cross, changes our identity, and uh, we are wonderfully, wonderfully grateful. Amen. Time is short, so I'm going to sack off a really incredibly exciting intro and go straight for the text. Are you ready? Reading from Luke chapter 13, starting at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. A woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmities. Then he put his hand on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrite. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead them, uh, lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. It's a Sabbath, it's a Saturday, a holy day of rest, a day where people gather around God and Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. I don't know about you, but I love to imagine Jesus teaching. He's there at the front and he unrolls the scrolls and he begins to teach from scriptures that he himself has authored. And he teaches, and he knows them inside and out. He doesn't even need to read them. He can read them with his eyes closed because he's the one that made it all happen. And he's explaining them in such a great and deep way because he from heaven has known the start from the end. He gets how the passages link together. And I imagine as people heard him talk, they were blown away. They say the best teachers are those who can speak the complexes of the kingdom in such a simple way that even those who are uneducated can understand it, but yet the power is somehow not diminished. And Jesus would have epitomized that. People would have been captivated by his every word. Every time he spoke, they would have been drawn to him. Every eye locked upon him. Please don't stop, Jesus. You can talk all day. Just do what you do. Just keep on going. And I I read that story on the Emmaus Road when those boys walk with Jesus and they don't know it. And they say later on, we're not our hearts burning within us. 
while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And it's not just the boys on the Emmaus Road that felt that. Every time Jesus stood up at the synagogue and began to share the scriptures, you know the hearts of the people are just burning inside of them. Who is this man and how is it that he teaches the scriptures with such power and authority? I think the people would have been encountering God all around the synagogue that day. This passionate and insightful teaching that blew them away. And our passage starts, On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She had been bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward. It sounds like Jesus is at the front, and he's doing his thing with the teaching. But as he's teaching, he notices this woman. Like the synagogue would have been laid out in such a fashion that men would have been in one place and women in another, and maybe the two didn't mix. But as Jesus is looking out, and my stories to start would have all been around the kind of distractions that I've faced uh, during my speaking times in Openshaw. But man, oh my, this, this woman seems to attract his attention. Like he's distracted by her, and we have no idea where he's at in the scripture readings. We have no idea what he's talking about, but this woman stands out. And maybe it's because she couldn't sit down that day because of her infirmities. Maybe she was the only one left standing, and maybe she's at the back and somehow she's in her eye line, but she's there and she's bent over. Maybe she has struggled to try and find a comfortable place to sit, but there's something going on with this lady. And what I love about Jesus, as he looks out and sees this woman head down, looking at the floor, who has been crippled for 18 years, it's as if Jesus can't go on. Like he puts aside the teaching for a second and he sees, as he sees her, he knows he has a duty to do something about her. He can't leave her for another moment longer. He can't wait till the end. He's not hoping she'll stick around so he can talk to her and take her aside and they can have a little moment together. He's not going to do some kind of altar call and bring his talk into a a, a conclusion where he says, I feel like there's someone here today that might need to be healed because they've been bent over for the last 18 years. It's you. He wants to deal with it, and he wants to deal with it now, and I just love it. It's remarkable. Show me another place in Scripture where Jesus calls someone out, where Jesus asks someone to come to the front. He makes a beeline for her. His eyes are set upon her. What's so fascinating is this woman would have been struggling to see Jesus. She's bent down. She's bent over. She's really uncomfortable. And he calls her out, woman. And everyone turns like, who is the woman? Like he was in full flow, I like to imagine. And he calls out this woman, woman. And I wonder if the woman knew that she was the woman. But everybody turns like, who is this woman come forward? And I imagine the place is all crammed in. They're all packed in nice and tight because Jesus is preaching up a storm. And then they do that thing that you sort of see in in primary schools where kids begin to shuffle because the teacher says shuffle. And they all shuffle one way and they all shuffle another. And this little pathway is created through to Jesus from the back to the front. And I wonder how she's feeling. I wonder how she's coping because, see, the synagogue is full that day. She hasn't asked for help. So I imagine she shuffles slowly to the front. 
carrying the weight of her infirmities, but also the shame. See, sickness and shame seemed so locked in those days. Everybody thought she was a sinner. Everyone knew her brokenness was not just because something had happened one day 18 years ago, but they think she carries sin. And so she is humiliated almost as she walks to the front. And it's not Jesus' intention. He's going to work wonders, all things for his glory. In a tightly packed room, every eye is upon Jesus. And he says this, woman, you are set free from your infirmities. And then he puts his hand upon her. And immediately she straightened upright and praised God. He calls out her healing. But what's interesting is she's not even healed in that moment. It's only as Jesus touches a woman, a sinful woman, that the healing occurs. And she, she goes from sort of almost in a 90 degree position to straight up. And she looks straight into the eyes of a savior, of her redeemer. And she looks him in the eye. What a wonderful moment. Can you imagine? 18 years looking at the floor, struggling to make eye contact with anybody. And then, whoom, in a moment, you're stood up and staring into the eyes of the Son of God, the Redeemer, the Savior. And what happens next? Like, you can't control what happens next because as much as the synagogue would have loved to, she begins to praise and worship God. She begins to glorify. I like to think that she sings, and she sings to the greatness and the glory of God. And maybe she begins to move about because she's free at last. And maybe she dances, and maybe she just pours her heart out in gratitude. And it's infectious because people, in the moment she stands upright, are suddenly aghast, like, What? But as she begins to sing, I like to think it becomes infectious because worship then becomes something that everybody is into. We will worship this God. She's overwhelmed with worship. And you imagine the commotion as worship begins to break out. But then the sick people in there, and you know they're wondering, man, if, if he can heal her, she can, he can heal me. And so maybe they begin to gather around and maybe a little cue begins to form like, do me, do me, Jesus. And there's one person there who's not too, not too happy about that. There's one person who runs to the front, not because they want healing, but because they want to close down the healing. And it says this, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work. Come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. The synagogue leader doesn't address Jesus, and Jesus is the one he thinks has just done sins He dresses the people. He implies that Jesus has healed as he's uh, worked, as he's been healing. And so he tries to bring a corrective style of teaching. And he's really trying to close down this sort of collection of sick people that are gathering to the front. And he's like, sit back down. There are six days open for healing. And Saturday needs to be a bit different. If you sit, come back tomorrow and we'll sort it out then. As if, like as if this guy's going to sort you out tomorrow. This woman's been coming to the synagogue for 18 years and he's never come close to healing her. 18 years she's been racked with this stuff and he's not even tried. 
And the day she gets healed, he wants to close it down. And he wants to say, hey, you know what? Come back another day. Come back tomorrow. We'll sort you out. Opening times are 9 till 5. We'll fit you in then. It isn't going to happen, guy. Jesus steps forward. And he answers, you hypocrites. Boom. Smackdown. Jesus style. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what, from what bound her? You help to ensure that your animals are fit and well and fed and watered by untying them even on the Sabbath day so they can go out and be fed and watered. But you, you don't want to see this woman untied spiritually. You help your animal, but not your sister. You know, helping your animal is acceptable to you, but helping your sister, this lovely lady, is not okay. And it reminds me a little bit of William Booth in the early days of the Salvation Army. He set up this thing called the the Cab Horse Charter. See, he worked out that in London, cab horses, these horses that pulled cabs along, were better treated than the majority of the poor. See, when they were sick, they were cared for. They were fed and watered each and every day. They had shelter and they had a job. And he said, if we just treated mankind this way, then maybe our society would look different. And Jesus is implying the same for the Sabbath. See, if you set your animals free on the Sabbath, shouldn't you set mankind free? And this woman is far more precious. Do you not see it? He calls her a a daughter of Abraham. He's saying she's a true Jew. She's a genuine believer. She's full of faith like Abraham was full of faith. She's an heir to the world. She's a child of the promise. She's predestined. She's planned. She is chosen. And you choose to set free your ox and your donkey. Like get your life in order. You care about man's stuff more than God's stuff. I wish I'd known what was going on in the heart of the woman as Jesus called out her name. I wonder if she attended the the synagogue that day full of prayer, hoping in her heart that someone would take pity on her. I wonder if she was like, you know, as Jesus began to talk with her, her heart too was burning inside of her chest as he broke out the scriptures and brought them to life. And I wonder if she heard the words when Jesus said, woman, whether she knew it was her time. Could this be it, Lord? Jesus isn't telling them off for releasing their donkeys. That's okay. He's not saying, forget your donkeys. He's just trying to say, get it in perspective. He's trying to explain what the Sabbath is for. See, the Scriptures tell us all about the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. But surely holiness means to be set apart for God. And surely this is what Jesus was doing. He, in this moment, was setting her apart from the world and setting her apart for God. Ezekiel 20 says, Also, I gave them my Sabbath as a sign between us, so that they would know that the Lord made them holy. The Sabbath was supposed to remind them that it's God that makes us holy, not the Sabbath that makes us holy, only God. But therefore, wasn't this the most beautiful example about how God was making someone holy, someone who was gripped by the devil, released into freedom? 
separating her from the world, separating her from the power of the devil, setting her apart for God. This is what the Sabbath is for. It's not the only time Jesus healed on the Sabbath. There's a story in Mark chapter 3 where he uh, heals the guy with a withered hand. And when he's questioned that day, he says this, Is it not lawful on the Sabbath to do good and not do harm? To save life and not to kill. Surely that's what he's doing here. Healing is a good thing. It's only good because it's from God. And surely he's bringing life and not harm. He's restoring life to fullness. Surely this is what God is all about and the Sabbath is for. The Sabbath was to help them to remember the works of God. And I'm sure that day they remembered the works of God. I'm sure as worship began to break out, they were like, we will remember the goodness of our God. I imagine they started singing, you're a good, good father. (laughs) That would be great on the tape. Surely they remembered their God was a merciful and kind and loving God if he brought the healing of a woman broken. Surely the Sabbath was to help them to remember. And yes... Yes, the Sabbath was about rest, but Jesus was enabling a woman who had not rested for 18 years. She'd never rested well in all that time, carrying the weight of infirmity on her back, her disability that defined her and limited her life, restricted her and exhausted her as she's bent double carrying the weight upon her back. Burdened for 18 years, she had never stopped working, even if she had not had a job. Every day struggling, every day laboring. And the Sabbath had been no different for her. She'd been carrying the weight, something restricted by the Jews. Today was the first day she could truly Sabbath. Today was the first day she could truly rest. So what's that got to do with anything you say? Well, I tell you what, we're fasting right now. And I love the fact that we are fasting in... uh, And it coincides with our Hiator stuff. Fasting and Sabbathing come from the same origins. And fasting, therefore, should be about freeing. Fasting frees us who do it from the world. It sets us apart and it refocuses us on God. It's not all about us, though. If our fasting is just about maybe losing a bit of weight and, uh, you know, having a bit of special time with Jesus, then we've somehow lost the point. Our fasting should enable us to bring people closer to God. Fasting should lead us to inspire and, uh, and lead us to bring people into freedom. Isaiah 58, my favorite chapter of the Bible at the moment, says this partway down. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke. I love that mission and fasting come together. In the past, I've tried to create like uh, new and interesting ways to do this sort of Lenten fast and, and almost restrict my life in order to encourage me to try and bring freedom to other people. And so I did for a while this thing where I wasn't allowed to use water out of my own taps. I had to go to a a neighbor's house with buckets and fill the 
buckets up to bring it to wash with or, or having only cold showers or eating only rice or, you know, a number of things to try and limit my, my freedoms and limit my life in order that it might inspire me to bring freedom to others. But this year, this year we have the higher tour. This year we're on about releasing a generation. It's flipping exciting. I don't have to eat rice for 40 days. We're going to see a generation released to all that God has, in te- has for them. And I like to imagine that this generation is like that woman bent double. Crippled with expectation. Bent double with self-worth issued, issues. Weighed down by the sins of the world. Looking at their feet instead of looking at the eyes of the Savior. Captivated by the schemes of the devil. Yet we are calling them forward in Jesus' name and drawing them to Jesus, calling them to restoration, to freedom and to healing, causing them to stand and to look in the eyes of God with great wonder and delight and begin to worship him. We're freeing people to worship in a way that no one has done before, freed to praise and freed to rest in him. And it's a wonderful thing. Jesus says something wonderful in Matthew 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're calling this over a generation. Come to me, all who are weary. My point wasn't supposed to be this morning that we made it all about us. But even this morning, as we listen to those words that we sung and the prophetic nature to some of those messages that you guys brought this morning, I wonder maybe if that's a verse for some of you also. Come to me. All who are weary. Maybe you find yourself feeling bent double. Feeling like you're carrying the weight of the world upon your backs. Jesus points you out and calls you forward. To restore you and heal you. To free you to worship. So let's say thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Wonderful God. How good generous you were by giving us your son who outstands is outstanding with his life who astounds us with all that he was this morning lord we receive his healing by your holy spirit lift from us lord the weights of the world and the sin that so easily entangles god and free a generation in your name free a generation to worship you And to live for you fully. Release a generation, Lord God. Only you are able. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams.